Well, hello, everyone. Phil Giuliani here again on Messianic Lamb Network. And this program is called One in Messiah. And if it's the first time you've tuned in, welcome. And I hope you enjoy it. And in case it is the first time you've tuned in, this is a ministry where we connect teachings from the Tanakh and the Old Testament. I'm sorry, between, between the Tanakh and the New Testament the Brit had the Shah, and we see how everything in scripture prefigures Yeshua and how everything in the entire Tanakh pointed to him. And of course, how the cross is the center of salvation history and how everything that comes after that looks back toward the cross and everything that came before that looks forward toward the cross and the whole plan of salvation as it unfolds through the scripture is just a, a panorama of prophecy and types and shadows and foretelling and then the coming of the son of man the god man fully god fully man to be the perfect savior and to die for our sins on the cross and to bring salvation by grace and extend that salvation to the Gentiles. And this is what the scriptures is all about. This is what salvation history is all about. And last week, um, I did a program from the book of Jonah about how Jonah was called by God and you you all know the story. He was called by God to go to the great city of Nineveh. And God told them that the evil in the city, the evil in Nineveh, had come up before his face, had come up before him. And that he wanted Jonah to go to that city and to proclaimed to that city that they had 40 days to repent. And if after that period of time, they did not repent, then the city would be destroyed. And we know, just to, to kind of summarize it, we know that Jonah did not want to do that, <laughs> and that he went to a ship, bought a ticket, and went to Tarshish, which was a point in the total opposite direction of Nineveh. In fact, in the, in the New Testament, we talk a lot about metanoia, which is the Greek term that's used for repentance in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. And metanoia literally means a change of mind, a change of heart, but it has the meaning in it that says you're walking in a certain direction, you turn 180 degrees and walk in the other direction. In other words, you meet Messiah Yeshua, you repent of your sins, you accept him as your Lord and savior, you decide that you're not going to live the life that you've been living, and you walk in a different direction. 
Well, Jonah kind of did that in an opposite way of what the intent was, that is. He went 180 degrees in the opposite direction because he did not want to do the plan. He did not want to do what God had commissioned him to do. And he tried very hard to run away from the plan. And as you know, there was a storm. The sailors were afraid. They even cried out to the God of Israel. Jonah realizes that it's his fault that this is happening. They throw him overboard. He's in the depths of the sea. He's swallowed by a great fish. The scripture does not say that it's a whale. All the stories talk about Jonah and the whale. The scripture does not say that it's a whale. It says it's a great fish, which is fine. And Jonah lives in the belly of the great fish for three days. For three days. Now, that's going to be important because of what we're going to do today in this program, the teaching that I'm going to do today. But he's three days in the belly of the fish, and then he cries out to God. He cries out. It says he cries out from Sheol, the place of the dead. Although he wasn't dead, he cried out from Sheol, the place of the dead, and the fish deposits him on a shore right by the city of Nineveh, which he was supposed to go to, which was the original plan that he wanted nothing to do with. And so, as you know, because I'm positive that you have read this story, <laughs> that you've studied the book of Jonah, he goes to the city and he exactly proclaims the message that God had told him to proclaim, which was 40 more days, Nineveh will be destroyed unless you repent. And we made the point last week, and it's worth repeating because it's such a powerful point. Nineveh was a Gentile city. It was a great pagan city. It was not a Hebrew city. It was not an Israelite city. It was not a Jewish city. It was a great city. It was part of the Assyrian Empire. There was a great king there. But the city was pagan. And the person calls him prophet Jonah. Jonah comes and proclaims this message from the God of Israel. Now, the people in Nineveh are of a different culture, a different context, a different religion, so to speak, whatever you want to call it. They are listening to a man that they don't know, who's not one of their own people. And he preaches the message exactly as God has told it to him. In 40 days, the city will be destroyed because of its great evil, unless they repent. This was such a great city, such a large city, that it says it takes Jonah three days to walk across the city. Three days to walk across the city. 
And the people heed the message. The king, the leader of the whole empire, hears the message. And the people begin repentance. They begin to fast. They cover themselves with sackcloth and ashes, ancient signs of repentance. The king proclaims a fast through the whole empire, through his whole reign, his whole kingdom of fasting and repentance, and even extends it to the animals. Even the animals are included in this. And so there's a general repentance that happens throughout the whole kingdom. And, of course, the city is spared. God accepts the repentance. The city is spared. Jonah does not tell the Ninevites how to repent, doesn't tell them what they should be doing. They just naturally repent out of their hearts out of a conviction that how they have been living is wrong. They fear, when they hear Jonah, they fear that there will be consequences to how they've been living and that a punishment is coming. And they accept the message. And we ended up Last week's show, I know this is kind of a long summary, a long uh, introduction, I guess, but I'm kind of known for that. For those of you that know me, you're probably already laughing. But what's really fascinating about this is that a prophet, Jonah, who's not of their people, He's not of their nationality. He's not of their faith. He's not of their background. He's not of their culture. He comes, one man sent from God, and everybody in the kingdom repents. And the judgment is suspended or vacated or I'm not sure what the uh, what the legal term is. <laughs> but anyway, um, really pretty amazing. And so we compared that to what happens in Israel, where over a period of years, centuries, many prophets are sent. Many prophets are sent, and the people do not repent. Who are these prophets? They're Israelites. They're of the same people. They're of the same culture. They're of the same background. They have Torah. They have the prophets. They have the writings. And they don't listen. They don't repent. And if we ever get to this teaching, which I'm going through in a minute, we're going to see how Yeshua uses that in a way that really hammers home this very same point to the people that are listening to him. 
He's one of their own. He's the ultimate messenger. You know, the, the writer to the Hebrews does a beautiful job in the first chapter of the book telling us how in the past God has spoken to us through prophets. Everyone has gotten part of a revelation. Everyone has given us part of a teaching. But now in these last days, he speaks to us through his son, who is, of course, the ultimate messenger, who is, of course, the final messenger. There are no more prophets in the sense of the prophets in the Tanakh, because Yeshua is the ultimate. He's the final word, capital W. And so Nineveh repents. Israel in the past, no. And of course, everything in scripture applies to all times. It also applies to the world we live in, in the 21st century, since the time of Yeshua. 21 centuries later, we have a culture that is sinning, has fallen away, has turned against God, has turned against Messiah Yeshua, has turned against the moral law, and in most recent times has even turned against the natural law. There is no more truth. There isn't even any more natural law. This is how perverted we have become. And God gives every culture a certain amount of time to repent. Now, if the sins of the Ninevites came up before him, and the, the Hebrew there means it came up to his face, the evils that we're seeing in our society, in the world around us, in our country around us, are certainly going up to his face. There are a certain number of prophets in our time, which are called the remnant, which are, like I'm sure if you're watching this, you're part of the remnant, who talk to people about repentance, who understand that the society needs to repent, who understand that society needs to turn back to Yeshua, has to turn back to the laws of morality. But generally, and not 100%, of course, but the vast majority of people are not listening, are not repenting. There was a terrific time during the COVID shutdown where people had an opportunity since they could not go to work, they could not go out to eat, they couldn't entertain themselves outside the home, they couldn't do all the things of their normal life, where they could have read scripture, prayed, meditated on the word, thought about their life, thought about what they should be doing in their life, thought about what their life was all about, and could have had metanoia. We don't know how many people did, but the culture in general apparently has not. So kind of a rough parallel to Jonah's time, but we certainly haven't seen our culture do full blown repentance like the people in Nineveh did. We're not likely to see people walking around wearing sackcloth and covered with ashes. 
you want to do that, that's fine. But metanoia doesn't require that. Metanoia simply requires that you turn to Messiah, confess your sins, accept his forgiveness and grace, and then your life will in fact change and you will in fact have metanoia in a very real physical way. And for all of you that have met Messiah, you you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, find somebody who can tell you. But I don't want to go too far down that path right now because I really want to cover this teaching. And what we're going to do is this is called the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah. So this goes... And, and this, this is what we do in this ministry. We talked about the, the book and the Tanakh and the passages in the Tanakh that have to do with a whole city repenting. And now we see how did Yeshua talk about this? How did he teach about this? <clears throat> how did he use this as an example of lives, the life of the people that were listening, the lives of people who were to come later, like us, based on one of the minor prophets, Jonah. Because like I said, not only is the Bible internally consistent, it's written over 2,500 years by nobody knows exactly how many authors, because some of the books we don't know who wrote, but many authors. But it's internally consistent, and it applies to people living in every time. People in our time, the 21st century after Yeshua, many people would say, oh, you know, that's just old-fashioned stuff, and that's ridiculous. You can't, we can't believe all that stuff anymore. You know, if, if there is a God, he can't possibly think like that anymore. That was made for primitive people. Doesn't apply to us. But in fact, it does apply to us. Because these are eternal truths with a capital T. These are eternal truths that apply across all time periods. They didn't just apply to Abraham. They didn't just apply to Moses. They didn't just apply to people in Yeshua's time. They applied to us as well. And he does a, a, an interesting um, example of that here. Let me see, let me make this a little bigger. So we're going to go to Luke 11. Now, some of the scriptures are going to be on the slides and some not, but I'll give you a second to find Luke 11. I should have said it sooner. Luke 11, we're going to start at chat and uh, verse 29. So you can flip to it or click to it or however you access the word. <laughs> yeah, when, um, when smartphones first came out, and I was sitting in church and I would see somebody get their phone out, I would think, oh, how rude. What's he doing on his cell phone? We're in church. We shouldn't be on his phone. But then I realized, wow, you can have your Bible on your phone. <laughs> yeah. So now 
Of course, along with having numerous written Bibles, I have numerous electronic Bibles. So however you get to the word, we're going to be in Luke 11. So verse 29, and while the crowds were thickly gathered, he began to say, this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah, the prophet. Whoa. An evil generation that seeks a sign. The Greek means evil and malicious. This is, he's, he's calling the crowd in front of him an evil generation and malicious generation. It's not sugarcoating it. Most of those people were not there to be converted. <clears throat> Most of those people were not there to have metanoia. Most of those people were not there to sincerely repent of their sin and rebellion and have a change in their life, come to understand that this was Messiah who was speaking to them. The majority of the people there were probably just there because they wanted something to talk about with their friends. They wanted some miracle to happen. Remember, these people had seen miracles. I'm sure many people came to wherever Yeshua was teaching because they were hoping, well, maybe he'll do another one of those cool miracles. And then when the word gets around, we can say, hey, I was there. I saw that. Pretty cool. So some of them were there for a kind of gee whiz isn't this fun? Isn't this novel kind of thinking? Some people were there hoping that a miracle was going to happen, that maybe food would be multiplied again. Maybe they'd be healed of something physically. Maybe they were just interested in what was going on. Maybe they were interested to see how the religious leaders were going to handle this rabbi who was building a bigger and bigger following. So there were people there for really a variety of reasons. And they had curiosity. They had, and, 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 we would probably do the same thing rather than condemning them like I just did. If you heard that there was a man preaching over there in the next town and he was doing miracles and he had multiplied food and all kinds of things were happening, they wanted to go see. You'd want to go see what was going on. And there were probably some people there that when they heard his message of the kingdom, when they heard his message of salvation, when they heard his message of how he was what all the scripture was pointing to, 
they wanted a sign to show that this was true. Now, we know from the book of Acts that many times the gospel was proclaimed in word and with power. And there were manifestations of the Holy Spirit. There were healings. There were various miracles. And that does, in fact, happen. Some people wanted to see the sign in order to believe. And Yeshua, of course, understands this. So he says, well, they will have a sign, but the sign they're going to have is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, they knew who Jonah was. They heard the readings in the Haftarah at the synagogues. They knew what happened to Jonah. They knew what happened at Nineveh. This was centuries before. But they knew this story because they had been exposed to all the readings. They had been exposed to the teachings about this. So it should have registered in their mind, wait a minute, he's talking about Jonah. Jonah was supposed to bring a mission. People who didn't know him were going to also hear the mission, and they were going to repent. People in Israel heard hundreds of or scores of prophets didn't repent. Hmm, now they're hearing the Messiah himself, the Son of God, the Son of Man the God-man, and they are not readily accepting him. Some are. Some want to see a sign. Some want to see some exciting miracle that they can talk about later with their friends. And, oh, wait a minute, Jonah, he was in the belly of the great fish for three days. Now, what is this guy talking about when he says no sign is going to be given to this generation, to this crowd, to this evil generation? Remember Pentecost morning, Peter says, this perverse generation. Get away from this perverse generation. What sign is he going to give this evil generation? The sign of Jonah. And he goes on to say, for as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation, to this generation, not some generation in the future, not a generation 20 years ago, not a generation 20 years from now, this generation, this crowd, this evil crowd, this malicious crowd that I'm talking to now. In other words, you guys, all of you that are listening, the Son of Man is going to be the sign to you. How is that going to compare to Jonah? Belly of the great fish for three days. In another gospel, Yeshua says the Son of Man will be in the bowels of the earth for three days. He says Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. The Son of Man will be in the bowels of the earth for three days. Jonah was deposited on the shore by the great fish. The Son of Man will 
rise from the dead and come out of the tomb, come out of the bowels of the earth. It's going to be a parallel sign. So Jonah was assigned to the people of Nineveh. They saw Jonah coming. First thought is, who is this guy? What is he doing here? Where is he from? What does he know about us? They hear him preach. They hear his message. They repent of what they're doing. And destruction is avoided. Now, Yeshua says the Son of Man is going to be assigned for this generation. In other words, who is this guy? Who is this man? What is he doing here? Where does he come from? Who does he think he is? Oh, listen to what he's saying. Well, then the choice becomes you either accept the sign or you reject the sign. The people of Nineveh accepted the sign. They accepted what Jonah said. And they were spared. They were, quote, saved. This is a parallel. We don't know about their eternal salvation. But they were saved from the punishment. They believed Jonah. Here, Yeshua says the Son of Man is assigned to this generation. They were speaking against him. They were speaking against the sign that they had been given. They did not accept the message. They did not understand it to begin with. Didn't understand it. Didn't accept it. Didn't understand this business about kingdom. Didn't understand this business about dealing with sin. Didn't understand this business about what were the prophets actually saying. Didn't understand this business of what was Torah actually about. It was about him. It was about this man who was speaking to them with the voice of a man, not the thundering voice from Mount Sinai, where you remember the people said, oh, we can't deal with this. We want God to talk to Moses, and then Moses can talk to us. And then God basically says, they've spoken well. They have a good idea. And then he gives us his word through the voice of a man, the God-man. But this is a sign that's rejected by these people. He, capital H, is the sign that is rejected by these people. So the Ninevites accepted Jonah, repented, were saved. These people rejected Messiah, did not repent. They were not saved. Not all of them, of course, but the vast majority. So, there were warnings. They didn't accept the warnings. They heard the teachings. His teachings got pretty popular. People were talking about him. Even leaders knew about him. Even civil leaders knew about him. The people knew what Torah said. They knew what the prophets said. They had seen him do signs and wonders. They saw these signs and wonders happen while he was teaching. They saw him teach with power. 
the inner circle of disciples saw amazing power, but even the bigger crowd. They saw things, they heard things, but now they want more signs. Just give us another little proof. Just, you know, we want to see something happen so that we know that you're telling the truth. They wanted more signs. So the Greek that's used in this passage is very interesting because it's talking about this. He's talking about a malicious, evil generation. The Greek talks about how this is a confused crowd. They don't really even know what they're looking for. They don't really even know what they're asking for. And this, when he says they're looking for a sign, they're, you know, requesting a sign. The Greek means that they're intensely doing this. They're intensely seeking a sign. There's like an intensity to it, an intense demand to see something happen. We want to have some proof. Interesting how people through the ages, over the last 2,100 years, almost, the last 2,000 and some years, that have come to faith in Messiah and have repented of their sins and have changed their lives and have been covered with grace and have had their sins forgiven by his blood, have never seen him physically, have never had his, seen his blood physically. They've never heard him speak physically. They've never seen him do signs and wonders in a physical way, but have still believed. Like he said to Thomas, it's great that you believe now that you've seen, but blessed are they who haven't seen and they believe. So for 2,000 years, that's been going on, where people have not physically had this experience, but they've come to believe with faith that they know for a fact, 100% that these things are true. This generation that he's talking to intensely want a sign. We're not there to be converted. They're there to have something happen. So he says, well, you'll see the sign of Jonah. That's what you're getting. Sign of Jonah. Cast into the sea. The sea represents death and destruction and just Jews hate the sea. They hate the ocean. If you notice, Jews never sailed to other places like so many ancient civilizations did. They hated the sea. The sea was a place there were Gentile lands on the other side. The, the islands, you know, the Isaiah talks about the isles and the coastlands. You know, these refer to Gentile places. They don't want to go in the sea. So the sea was always a sign of confusion. In the book of Revelation, we're told that the, the evil one, the Antichrist, is going to come from the sea, from the ocean, like a mixture of mess, a mess of people, a mess of culture, a mess of everything. So Jonah's thrown into the sea. 
And then he's alive in the great fish for three days. And then he's alive on the shore. Now, when Yeshua was in the tomb, he was not alive. Let me clarify that. So before you start sending me emails, <laughs> he was physically dead. The body of Jesus of Nazareth was dead, and there was no question that he was dead. People took his body down from the cross. People anointed his body hurriedly because it was almost Shabbat. They put him in a tomb, and they rolled a big stone over the entrance to the tomb. Now, everyone who was there that day had no doubt in their mind that this was a dead man. If you had been walking by there that day and seen this sight, you would have said, this is a dead man. And if you would have stood there for a while and watched, and watched these people hurriedly preparing his body and wrapping it and putting it in that tomb and putting the stone, you said, oh boy, I'm glad they got that done before the Shabbat. And even though he had told them that on the third day he would rise, if you remember the resurrection um, gospels, which we're not going to get to today, obviously, you know, the angel tells in Luke 24, the angels tell the women, don't you remember he told you that? It says that then they remembered. Then they remembered. They went and told the men, those brave men who were hiding in the upper room, and it says that they thought this sounded like a fable. This sounded like crazy talk that he was alive. And Peter and John run to the tomb, and when they get to the tomb, then they remembered, then they understood. So Messiah was, in fact, dead in the tomb, which was the sign of Jonah that he's talking about to this evil generation. So he suffered, he died, but then he rose. So when Jonah's put on the um, shore to go to Nineveh, he basically has new life. He was not dead, but he basically has new life. Messiah, the sign of Jonah, comes out of the tomb on the third day and is alive in the same body that went into the tomb. So again, Jonah goes and preaches in Nineveh, this great Gentile city, they repented. Now, interestingly, as part of this sign of Jonah that Yeshua gives them, stop and think about this. This is also a prefigurement that the gospel is going to go out to the Gentiles. The gospel is going to go, like Jonah went to the great Gentile city, this gospel is going to go to the Gentiles, and they are going to start to believe this. They are going to start to understand this. They are going to come to faith in the Jewish Messiah, which they will then understand is also their Messiah. They will repent of their sins. They will come to him. The church will be born. And Gentiles will come to faith in the Jewish Messiah, just like the Gentiles of Nineveh believed the word of Jonah. And when Paul tells us in Romans that 
the Gentiles came to faith to make Israel jealous. We can also see that as part of this explanation that Yeshua is giving to these people that are listening to him. Because they are, for the vast majority, for the most part, going to reject him. He says, he says I'm the sign to this generation. Well, they're going to reject the sign. They are not going to be like the Gentiles of the Greco-Roman world that accepted the sign. So the Son of Man was the sign for them. He was for them. To the Jew first and then the Gentile. He came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Obviously, came for everyone, but came first for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He was for them. And he tells them, the Son of Man is your sign. Your sign. Just like Jonah was the sign for the Ninevites. So they spoke against that sign. The religious, religious leader said, no. Not only can he not be the Messiah, he can't even be a prophet. Why has any prophet ever come from Galilee? The short answer is no. We know in um, John's Gospel, chapter 9, when he cures the man who's been blind from birth, it tells us that the leaders, the Pharisees, had already decided that if anybody followed Yeshua, they would be put out of the synagogue. It tells us that very plainly, explicitly. So that man's parents were afraid to say anything because they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. Because unlike in our time where nobody could care less whether somebody goes to church or not, in those days, if you'd have been thrown out of the synagogue, it would have affected every part of your life. Not only your regular personal life, everyday life, but your business, your professional life, your farm, your store, whatever you had, Nobody was going to come and do business with someone who had been thrown out of the synagogue. It was like the days where someone was excommunicated and they were Satan, or uh, Paul says, you know, you turn them over to Satan. So the Ninevites believed their sign. They were repented and they repented. They believed their sign. Then he goes on to another sign. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. The queen of the south is going to stand up on the day of judgment and condemn the people who are listening to Yeshua at that moment. She is a Gentile. She is an African. She is the queen of Sheba. She is an African woman. She is not, not an Israelite. She went to Jerusalem to see the wisdom of Solomon, the glory of the temple. She came from far away. And as I'm sure you know, 
Solomon, who was very involved with hundreds, a thousand, says a thousand women. I can never remember whether it's 300 lives and 700 concubines or 700 lives and 300 concubines. But anyway, they had relations and she conceived a son who gave rise to the Ethiopian Jews who are now for the most part living in Israel. They were airlifted to the land during the 80s and the 90s. And by DNA, these people are Jewish. They are thought to be descended from Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. So she was not an Israelite. She came from far away. She knew there was glory and wisdom there. Her gods didn't have glory and wisdom. So she believed this before she saw it. She believed it before she came. She came to Jerusalem, learned about the true God, learned about the wisdom of the Hebrew scriptures, saw the glory of the temple, saw the glory of Solomon, saw the glory of the worship the scrolls, the beautiful temple. And she believed it before she got there. She's not a Jewish woman, but she's going to rise and condemn the people that are there at that moment listening to him, listening to Yeshua. Those people that were listening, they don't recognize him. He says the Queen of Sheba came to Jerusalem to see all this, to listen to Solomon. I'm standing right here and you don't believe in me. You're not listening to me. And I'm greater than Solomon. I'm greater than the temple. I have way more glory than Solomon. I have way more glory and wisdom than the temple had. I have way more glory and wisdom than whatever else you can put up here. And I'm the one who gave the covenant to Moses. I'm the one who gave the scripture. I'm the one who brought all these things. I am greater than the temple, greater than Solomon. But you people aren't listening to me. So the queen of the south, this queen of Sheba, is going to show up at the judgment and judge the people of that generation. And of course, this is also true of Gentile people who through the centuries have come to faith in the Jewish Messiah. Then he goes on to say in verse 32, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Not to keep repeating it, but it's important to repeat it. All the people in that great city, all those Gentile people who didn't have the temple, didn't have the wisdom, didn't have the scrolls, didn't have the prophets, didn't have the covenant, didn't have any of that. They believed and they repented and they were spared. Those men in Nineveh are going to come and condemn the people that are listening to Yeshua who have all those things. 
And he says, they listen to Jonah. I am here way greater than any Jonah, way greater than anybody that anyone has ever seen. But you're not listening to me. You're not accepting the sign like the Ninevites accepted the sign of Jonah. So the people in Nineveh will rise up to judge them because they repented. And even though one greater than Jonah is here, you don't repent. You don't believe. You don't know the sign. You don't accept the sign. Your religious leaders don't accept what all the writings, what all the prophets, what all the Torah pointed to. So they will rise up to judge you. This is so profound that it's so, such a, um, a powerful way to state it. So with him, with Yeshua, with the son of man, as he calls himself so frequently, you have greater preaching, greater teaching. So the judgment of rejecting him is going to be way worse, much greater than had Jonah been rejected. Because now they were rejecting the only means of salvation. He was the only means of salvation then. He's the only means of salvation today. They were rejecting that. And they were rejecting the sign. Now the ultimate sign of course, was the resurrection. And we'll be talking about that more as we get to Resurrection Day. But Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is all about resurrection. But the resurrection of Yeshua was the ultimate sign that he is who he said he is, and he did what he said he did. The resurrection is the ultimate sign. The sign of Jonah after three days coming out, this evil generation, these people standing there in front of him who demanded a sign, don't accept that. Don't want to know about that. In fact, put obstacles in front of other people so that other people don't believe it. And in Matthew 23, he tells the religious leaders, if you've never read Matthew 23, please sit and read it for a little while today or soon. But he says, not only do you not get into the kingdom, but you prevent others from getting into the kingdom. These people actively, these religious leaders who as Paul says in Romans, of all the people that should have known Yeshua was the Messiah, it should have been these guys. Because they had all the scrolls, they had all the knowledge. But when they said, no, he's not anything, you can't follow him, you can't listen to him, you must reject him, or you will be put out of the synagogue, they closed people's minds to hear the message of salvation, to hear the gospel of grace. And so 
they prevent others from getting into the kingdom. So they will be judged by the men of Nineveh, by the queen of the south. And you can add that every Gentile who's come to Messiah since all of this began in the preaching of the gospel in Yeshua's time. These leaders had all the fundamentals. They had the covenant. They were the only people in the entire world that had the covenant with the true God. They had the scriptures. They had revelations. They had manifestations. They saw his power in the wilderness, in the land. Then they saw signs and wonders when Yeshua was preaching. And then they had Messiah there in front of them, talking to them. And they opposed the sign. They ridiculed the sign. They wanted to destroy the sign. And they literally wanted to kill the sign. They became the instrument through which the sacrifice of Messiah was going to take place. It was going to take place. But these people rejected the sign to the point where they actually had him killed, actually had him murdered. So they rejected the sign to the ultimate. But of course, the sacrifice is what had to happen. The resurrection was the proof of that. And then they spoke against that. They spoke against the evangelization that came after the resurrection. It came after Shavuot, Pentecost. So they rejected the sign. They had Messiah there, the signs and wonders. They rejected it. They weren't impressed. This wasn't the way it was supposed to be. They turned away. Just like in our time. The generation we're living in, the society we're living in, is not impressed. They don't want to know anything about it. God's word, God's law, God's morality has been rejected. And as I said, even the natural law has been rejected. People have turned away. No one can, unless you understand sin, you can't even talk about repentance. And since there is no truth, there's only truth with a small T, not truth with a capital T. There's relative morality. What's right for you may not be right for me, but hey, it's okay. We're both right. If there's 18 of us here, we can all have a different truth, and we're all right. So there is nothing to repent of. Everything is okay. There is no need for repentance because who's to say? There is no absolute right and wrong. So there is no repentance. So we reject the sign. They missed the ultimate sign, which was the resurrection. <clears throat> they ridiculed it. They talked against it. They taught against it. <clears throat> they killed the people who believed it. And the people in our time 
don't believe any of this. They don't believe any of this. Because not only have we rejected everything, we've made our own morality, we've made our own law, we've made gods in our own images. And so therefore, there's nothing to repent of. There's no one to repent to. And so we've missed the sign. We missed the sign of Jonah. We missed the sign of Messiah. Whew. So these are just some things to think about as we go through this season approaching Passover and Holy Week and crucifixion and resurrection. So, so join us again next week. Thanks for tuning in.